This is Geek Gab with your host, Narnal and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, March 4th, 2022. 23. Wow. Man, I got two full months into the year before I messed that up. Yeah, hey, I don't... Uh... Don't take this the wrong way, but don't listen to last week's episode. Oh, did I mess it up too? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's yep. still two months into the year. Two months into the year. Normally, you hit that two months hump and... Oh, have you done your taxes yet? Usually, that's when most people get it straight. Oh, actually, I have done my taxes. Oh, well. Well, it was the 2022 taxes, so maybe that messed you up. I think you would be shocked, shocked how much money I have to pay the federal government this year. <laughs> I would be shocked if uh, you paid them anything. Um, well, I won't lie. Uh, the private island is a great tax write-off, so... Mm. Don't we should do a show IRS. <laughs> we should do a whole episode on tax shelters. Oh, that sounds exciting. I'm <laughs> down for that. We're going to no, open sorry. up a whole new audience of <laughs> listeners. People people come in tune in for the geeky, you know, pop culture gaming talk and then we're going to add a bunch of people who are the type of people who troll YouTube looking for advice on investments and tax breaks and everything. Yeah. Bad tax advice here on Geek Cap. <laughs> Here's a first disclaimer, yes. folks. First of all, I am not a lawyer or an investor. Hit the like and subscribe, click the bell, whatever. Or an accountant. <laughs> we are not accountants. First, uh, first and uh, biggest bad uh, tax advice we can give you, just just don't pay them. Nobody cares. The IRS isn't paying attention. They didn't hire <laughs> like 78,000 new IRS agents to keep track of small people. They hired them to keep track of the 13 billionaires in the country. They hired 78,000 people to keep track of 13 people. That's the truth. This has been Bad Tax Advice brought to you by Geek Gab. We return you to your regularly scheduled program. See what I did there? Apparently not. Well, uh, either Tornal has dropped out or he's stunned, stunned into silence by the magnitude of my comic genius. Genius is not a word that I use lightly. No, sir. Uh, so we had a... Boy, I'm just... Yes, he's disconnected. <laughs> okay, we had uh, goals for this show. He had a goal and I had a goal. His goal was to go see Cocaine Bear. My goal was to go see Quantum Mania. And I am willing to tell you that... Uh, as a good co-host who was fully prepared for this show, that I didn't see a single solitary second of Quantum Media. I didn't even get to the theaters, and this wasn't quite totally, absolutely my fault. I had genuinely a scintilla of this not being my fault in there somewhere. So we're not going to talk about Quantum Mania today, but we are going to talk about Cocaine Bear. Um, and I also wanted to talk about some, maybe some role-playing design thing, and it was genuinely on the tip of my brain, only I can't remember the topic right now. I, I literally have no idea what game design thing I wanted to talk about. Hey, hey. I'm, I'm really bringing nothing to the table today. 
I didn't see the movie I was supposed to. I can't remember the game design topic I wanted to talk about. Um, it's, it's, oh yeah, I wanted to diss on AD&D. I want uh, to crap all over AD&D and crap all over the people who are crapping all over skill games, sneering at skill games. Oh, yeah. Oh, I want to do this right now while I'm remembering it. <laughs> Go for the, it. The Pro SR, man, they're talking about skill games, okay? They're talking about how all these new, modern, newfangled skill-based systems where you have skills like, you know, um, notice and search and uh, sense motive and stuff, how game masters don't even get in with, with describing the, the surroundings or playing the game. They just have people come in and say, oh, yeah, I, I searched the room and they make a search check and how these game masters don't even have, you know, the gosh darn common courtesy to let them play the game. It's just all rolling, 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 and nothing even matters. Well, I've been playing an old school game basically for almost a year now, because I believe I started in March of last year with the uh, Trollopolis campaign, and I, I really honestly can't believe it's been a year. Uh, it's been a whole year, and I am, uh, you know, I'm amazed. It has been a great year of role-playing uh, AD&D. I have learned a lot about game design from AD&D. Um, I have learned a lot about class-based systems and class-based system design, um, primarily about the purposes of classes. Why is it you want classes in your game and how that uh, interacts with uh, skill-based systems? And also the purposes of, say, if you have a template or archetype system, things like that. Um, and, and why 3rd edition was implementing classes the way they did I can see why they did it, but it had some really bad side effects. And that's another, you know, maybe another game design topic for another day is why do classes uh, exist? And why is it if you're going to in institute a class system, why I think third edition, despite the fact that I love third edition, D&D, uh, third edition D&D was what I'm talking about now. And despite the fact that it was so monumentally popular, why I think third edition just got classes, you know, wrong. Why they really were kind of tied by having to have a semblance of, you know, they picked out holy cows when they started to design it. Things they absolutely couldn't get rid of. Um, why they really were trying to implement a skill-based system. Uh, in several ways, and how they could have, uh, how they really destroyed the core feature, the core design goal of a class-based system. That sounds like a cool topic for uh, another day, or maybe mm -hmm. later today if we run out of things to talk about. Um, so here's the thing. There is a huge problem that exists in AD&D that specifically mimics exactly the search problem that you get in just about any other game uh, that has a search skill, which is game masters who haven't been heavily trained in not doing this um, or tired game masters or game masters who, you know, just don't know any better, will say, people come into the room and say, okay, I search it. And then they roll the dice or the game master tells them to roll the dice or maybe even the game master rolls the dice himself. And then the game master, without describing the room at all. So they're existing in this gray mist where none of the features are concrete. 
where they don't necessarily know, oh, yes, this is a room with, um, uh, that is a, a nicely appointed office. There are tapestries on the wall. There's a bookcase along the left side of the wall covered in volumes uh, that are, you know, all hardback bound in leather. Um, and uh, there are three sconces holding torches that are currently unlit. And uh, there's a massive desk you can barely see at the other end of the long room by the edge of your uh, torchlight. And then saying to the players, what do you do? They just say, okay, I search the room and roll the dice. And the game master says, well, here's what you find. And, you know, tells them. It's all happening in this gray universe where the players don't have a solid description of the world to ground their imaginations in this world they're playing in, which is the point of role-playing games. Uh, a free use of imaginations. You're, you're playing in this imaginary world. And the more little details that you can give players without banging on about it or without, um, you know, without boring them, the more evocative those details are, the better it is for making the world come alive, the better it is for grounding players in that world so they can feel like their characters are interacting with a solid world. Their characters will feel like the world they're in feels, it'll feel real. And that will give them, um, that will mean they treat the world more seriously. They will treat the world as if it is a place to be in rather than uh, being cavalier about it and just hand-waving all their interactions with the world. If you want the players to take your world and the NPCs in the world more seriously, make the world feel real. Make the people in the world feel real. And it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to bang on and on and on about it. You can do it with just a few details. I mean, those details that I gave in my description, there weren't a lot of them. Uh, tapestries, bookcase, wall sconces, unlit torches, guest, desk. That's not a lot of details. That's five details. I'm not suggesting you have to count up every time, but, you know, you really don't have to be worried about it. So the problem, AD&D. They crap all over new, and I'm talking about the Bro SR, looking at you, Bro SR. Mm -hmm. They crap all over new school games, and by new school, they mean anything after 1980, um, that have skill systems because they say rolling replaces the game master's uh, impetus or habit of describing the world, people just come in and say, I roll to search it, okay, this is what you find, without describing the world. And I say, I assert, I have observed over the last year that the search for secret doors role is as big or greater an offender on this subject as any searching the room skill from, say, third edition or, um, you know, a, another skill based system like, uh, I mean, I only knew one for sure, but uh, I think Shadowrun had a fine mechanic um they definitely had a you know streetwise mechanic where you could go around gathering information stuff like that i think uh as a as a long time game designer or i should say a long time person who does uh, auxiliary game design for games 
and is currently designing his own role-playing game. My One of my core principles is that no skill role should replace playing the game, period. That is, no skill role should ever replace players having to come into the room, hear the description of the room, and then tell the game master what their characters are doing. And skill roles, if there is going to be any skill role, it does not replace players having to think their way through the situation. If they want to search this office, they're going to have to tell the game master what they're doing. One of them may say, okay, I start pulling books down and looking through the pages. One of them may have to say, you know, well, I want to look behind the tapestries. What, what's back there? One of them may say, and by the way, I'm making up these details off the top of my mind. This is not a planned, you know, it's not a planned monologue. So understand that I'm doing exactly what game masters might have to do if they haven't written all these details down. One of them may say, okay, I start, you know, uh, I go look at the desk and uh, start pulling drawers open and going through the drawers. And most importantly, if they haven't thought about it, one of them may have to say, hey, it's kind of freaking dark in here. I light the torches and the sconces so we have more light. And at this point, my gaming theory is that skills in general ought to encourage playing the game, not replace it. So what do you what do you mean by that? If you're gonna have a fine skill at all, it should not and, and I don't, you know, if you're going to have, okay, so let's take this, you know, search for secret doors. You, sh I, I don't like the mechanic. I, uh, like I mean, searching is a good example of where a skill system can, or even the simple one in six chance in AD&D is a good replacement for all the things that you could possibly do i i don't think it necessarily makes the experience works work and it doesn't it doesn't preclude people taking actions in the game world i think uh i think a good game and a good game master can take advantage of the skill system uh say for example in your in the search example let's say this is a pre-planned room and you have a note that, oh, there's one of the, the desk drawer has a false bottom and there's a special paper in it or hidden scrolls or uh, some spare change, right? So if the players decide, oh, we're going to, we're going to toss the room. Like we're going to, we're going to search the whole room for treasure or something. And you might use a die roll and come up with it. They might find it, they might not. But if a player says, all right, I'm going to pull this drawer out and I'm going to smash it, or I'm going to check for a false bottom or whatever, right? That's a hundred percent certainty in, in terms of a dice check or a skill roll or something like that. I think the two things can exist in harmony. Uh, because, as you said, when people are interacting with the world as a world, you get situations such as that. Player, players might ask, hmm, you know, tell me about these wall sconces or tell me about these tapestries. And everybody's going to check behind the tapestries. There's no role needed for that. They usually, they usually call that sort of thing a concealed door as opposed to a secret door. Um, 
so that's that's my take on it. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that says anything about the goodness or badness of skill systems or AD and D's treasure search in general. Uh, I will say there's there is one there is one counter argument that makes that scenario in particular interesting enough. Uh, in a old school an OSR or basic D&D kind of dungeon crawl, the action to search for a secret door has tangible costs and tangible benefits. Uh, when you're in that sort of, when you're in a dangerous area and you only have so much time before monsters arrive, then every turn you take out searching walls for secret doors, when you don't know, when you're not sure that there's anything there, or searching your room for treasure or anything like that. Like that has a tangible time cost and that can result in uh, huge penalties. You know, if, if monsters arrive or you make too much noise or, or whatever, you know, you could pay dearly for that extra search. In that case, even if it's just a skill check or a dice roll, right? It's still It's still an actual gaming decision. That's interesting and it can be very fun. In my experience, most people don't aren't that strict about their turn-to-turn -turn action cost, even in a dungeon crawl. But it's interesting. So that's that, that's that's my reaction. That's my counter to it. Which which isn't to say that skill systems are bad, but they do have to have a point. They have to they have to create interesting gameable moments. And to your point, they I agree that they shouldn't replace interaction with the game world, as my false bottom example shows. And I from what I've seen, the search for secret doors mechanic, as it's been commonly played, and I have no idea how Gygax used it. Um, simply replaces interacting with the game world. It replaces allowing players to be clever in searching the environment. To notice things or to search for things, to locate them and to manipulate them and to be smart about it. Um, nothing is perfect and you should have players, You should have something set up by way of the mechanism that players could, through just role-playing, through just describing what their characters are doing, be clever and discover things because that's what gameplay is. I mean, that's what playing a game is, where cleverness uh, and rules mastery allowed you to succeed. Maybe it's thinking, okay, there's a, uh, you know, maybe there's a breeze blowing through here. So you throw up a cloud of chalk dust to see if the air is stirring. And this is an example, by the way, this next example I stole from a David Drake short story in the uh, Thieves World anthologies. Uh, he goes down into this temple. Um and it's an ages-old hidden cult temple in, a, in caverns beneath the city that have been paved. And literally, uh, you know, centuries after centuries, these priests have walked to a secret door somewhere in this cavern. So in order to find this secret door, he 
pours some liquid on the ground and sees where it runs because their feet have worn down the stones. And so he knows where the secret door is because the water will run down where the stone is worn. And then it pools at the base of the secret door and he goes over and starts physically searching for it. Um, so as many little details like that, that give the players the feel of a concrete world, instead of just saying, okay, you find it, or okay, you don't find it. Um, I mean, if they just, if you roll it and they find it, that you can just describe it, uh, you know, you've noticed this protuberance looks kind of strange. You go over and you turn it and the door opens. Fine. You've described the world concretely. Their players notice something and they manipulated the rock. It opened. And that's fine. You don't have to make them. As long as your description of what happened and your description of everything beforehand uh, is concrete, then they will feel like the world is concrete. That's fine. You don't have to extend the game longer than you need to because they found it. But if they didn't find it, you should give them a chance to engage with the world in a concrete way. And if after a, you know, reasonable length of time they haven't found it or there really isn't a secret door in this room uh after they've done their tricks to check for one you know say hey move on okay i i listen uh, and i feel like i would like it if checking for traps and picking locks could be a little bit more descriptive instead of just saying hey you undo the lock or whatever i'm not saying that it would work well as a you know fully interactive describing everything because i think that would be a big burden to place on players and game masters yeah i was just about to say it it sounds like you'd be better off playing but, Skyrim. But I would like there to be at least some description of it for game masters not to just say, okay, you unlock the lock. If they find a trap, tell them what kind of trap it is. Give a little description of it. Okay, there's a needle here, and if you don't, you know, disarm it properly it looks like there's some poison on it that's enough of a description to let people know hey kind of here's the stakes and it makes the lock feel weightier it makes it feel real it makes it feel existing in the world you see i'm not asking for a lot i'm not i'm not suggesting a lot I see. Just a little bit of effort. It's just a slight change. Just Game Masters remembering, putting out a little bit of effort to describe the world, even if you're going to have a skill total, decide it. You shouldn't just let the skill total tell the whole story. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I want. I want to. I want to wrap up on this because uh, you make really good points. Uh, one quick counterexample. Here's a bad skill system game. Here's here's the real problem. Is a game like Shadowrun. In in Shadowrun, every is particularly the latest iteration of the game. Every interaction with the world follows the same dice mechanics, and the game master does, in fact, set up a situation 
as you might suggest. Describe the room they're in or the hallway or whatever. Let's say we're in the middle of the actual Shadowrun. And the player chooses to interact with that world. How do they do it? Well, they try. They want to do something to the world. And in nearly all cases, uh, there's a skill or a spell or ability, like a piece of equipment involved. And that involves counting up the rating, rolling that many dice, and counting how many times you roll a five or a six without fail. Like that's how you literally interact with everything. And that's my objection. I can't speak for the whole bro SR. That's my objection to skill system games when they literally turn the entire game into describe setting. Okay, I interact with setting. Okay, then roll your big pile of dice or roll this dice and add your modifiers, that sort of thing. There's nothing interesting. There's no there's no actual gaming going on. Right. That's because they're letting the skill, rolling a skill, replace playing the game. You should never let rolling a skill replace playing the game. Ever. Uh, I, I'm saying there is no game. But I get your point. I, I get your point. Absolutely. We're on. We're totally on the same page. Uh, uh, but th th that's the problem with Shadowrun is I choose to play the game and interact with the world. And, uh, you know, oh, I, oh, we need to break through this wall. I'm going to use my shape earth spell or something. Right. And how do you do that? How, how, how do you determine the outcome of that interaction the same way you out determine the outcome of everything else? There's no game to it, but I think we're on the same page, uh, as far as that goes. Well, what would you prefer they do with the Shape Earth spell? Um, the, uh, and Shadowrun's a great example because a Shape Earth spell, it's equivalent in other games. Older games, if you prefer, or more fantasy-themed games. Basically anything that isn't derived from Hero or Shadowrun, or maybe GURPS, uh, which is, you know, everything's rated with a numerical value. And everything's based off some skill. You know, if if I have the foo spell, I use the foo skill. And everything turns into a bland mush. Uh, so it would be a more discreet or set of values. You know, oh, I've got a spell that lets me see on the other side of a wall. Great. Done. Right? Um, and it's a finite resource that you can use. Instead of, a, you know, I've got a, I've got a button I push that just does that. Um, the the result of those sort of well thought out spells and abilities, and you know, you mentioned classes as classes. I think they create a more compelling world by themselves, just by implementing them. Um, so I think going full skill system, a la Shadowrun or GURPS or whatever, that's nuts. That's that's how you get bland porridge gaming. And it all boils down to, like you said, Game Master's got to make sure that, uh, you know, when the rules are applied, that the people feel like they're playing a game and they're playing in a real world. Yeah, but whatever happens with the skills, Game Master's have to describe the results in terms of concrete events in the real world. I mean, in the game world. You just just saying, yeah. okay, you get, you know, okay, you find 50 gold. You should at least make, even if you're just, you know, searching a pile of uh, orcs, you should say, okay, um, the orcs stink really badly, um, but pulling the pouches off there, belts and counting up the change you find um 21 electrum pieces you can pull out of their pouches along with uh, a bunch of unidentifiable bones and pieces of fur okay those are just a couple of details you know that i think that's three details maybe four orc stink pouches on belts um, electrum pieces, bits of bones in their pouches too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so you, 
Yeah. Go ahead, finish. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm glad you're able to uh, remember that and get that off your chest because uh, that's a good point. Good tips for DMs. Uh, you er, let's move on if that's all right. I was done. I was done before you started going into Shadowrun, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, I just I could not resist the urge to slam Shadowrun. But yeah, the the topic of today's show. Uh, you asked me about. Uh, modern, you know, a couple of movies that are out. And uh, I decided uh, it would be fun to do a date night and go see Cocaine Bear. <laughs> uh, which, which because because you you suggested, I, I don't know if you were thinking of watching a movie or not, or it sounded like you were just asking, like, hey, what do you think? Uh, but you were going to, you were thinking maybe Cocaine Bear or Quantumania. Yeah. And, uh, everything, everything loses to marvel i i don't think i'm ever going to see another one uh, so i i decided to watch cocaine bear no man you have to watch she hulk dude <laughs> awesome oh yeah I rarely have i seen the art of making television just reach such sublime heights sublime heights of unwatchability she 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 makes fun of MRAs and pickup artists. She has Cardi B on and they twerk. What twerk? They twerk on wow, that's really pushing the boundaries of storytelling. Yeah. I, I guess this must have been written in 2014 or something. Yeah. Name me one other television series that does that. You can't. You no, can't. I can't. I can't. No, I, I will not subject myself to Ant-Man, but somehow Cocaine Bear didn't feel much better. So so this is supposedly based on a true story of uh, drug dealers with a plane full of Colombian-made cocaine flying uncut. over, uncut, pure uncut, uh, flying over uh, Appalachia with millions and millions of dollars worth of cocaine. And this is back in 1986, actual millions and millions of dollars in 1986 dollars worth of cocaine. And uh, it was dropped from a plane into some national park in northern Georgia. Because this is a legit method of drug distribution. Absolutely. You yes. Uh, you, they, actual airdrop. It's not an accident. It's not like, you know, the door flew open and their cocaine, you know, fell out. This is, they drop it at, at the delivery point um, so people can go out and pick it up without being tracked. As the story goes, uh, a black bear found some of it in this forest, ate it, went berserk, and died. So that's where the similarities end. I can say without reservation that this is the dumbest movie I've seen in a very long time. And I watched the new Beavis and Budhead cartoon last year. Oh, on HBO Max? Yeah, uh, they, they did a new movie where they were brought into the present day from some time travel scheme. There was some infinite universe multiverse Beavis and Buttheads as well. It, it's even dumber than it sounds. And this movie was as dumb as that. Uh, this is a film by Elizabeth Banks, uh, who I mentioned because that's posted at the beginning of the film, an Elizabeth Banks film, which makes me wonder what she did to deserve that kind of punishment. Most people, when they have films that come out in February or early March, 
they know it's because the film is bad. And a lot of people, particularly writers, will say, mm, you know what, leave, leave my name off the credits. Too much, too, too much uh, script doctoring. Man. So they use this, this story. Uh, you know, Bear gets messed up on cocaine uh, and turned it into what appears to be a comedy horror film. Or is it a parody of a comedy horror film? But here's the deal. There is nothing funny in the film, and there is nothing scary in the film. And the biggest, oh, second biggest? No, the biggest problem for me is, I guess, the obvious. The bear's animated. Wait, what? They, they didn't do much, if any, footage of actual bears. The, the cocaine bears got very like specific features, like a notched ear and scars on her face and everything. And, you know, very animated face, animated faces. And of course, there's lots of scenes where it's like running around chasing poor hikers and, and rampaging, you know, okay, they're not, that's obviously a computer animated bear. Absolutely atrocious. Uh, it, it completely removes any sense of dread or anything. It's, this is obviously one big joke, which is fine because all the characters are jokes. They have, and this is the second worst part of the film. They try to set up a large-ish cast of characters who are all entering the park for one reason or another. Some of them to recover the drugs. Some of them are on a hike. Some of them are, you know, there's the mom who's going to find her children who went, you know, skipped school to go for a day hike, right? They're all written without any personality except witty, quirky dialogue. And it's delivered by people who can't handle it. So we've got bad characters written badly, acted badly. Um, the only one in the film with any... I don't know why you'd use gravitas in this kind of film, but apparently this is one of Ray Liotta's last films. Uh, and he, he oh. plays the... Uh, he plays the old uh, drug lord who's on the hook for all the millions of dollars of cocaine. So he's one of the guys there recovering the... Uh, what a movie to be your last movie, right? Wow. That's like when your favorite NFL player retires in a 1-16 season of the Cleveland Browns. You go, mm, I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to remember that season. He never wore that uniform. So the trailer promised a goofy, campy romp with a bear killing people and managed to make none of it, none of it entertaining, except for one scene. There is a chase scene where paramedics someone called an ambulance because they were injured in a knife fight earlier in the film yeah don't ask and the paramedics show up to find that the bear had arrived and mauled everybody on site so they're trying to escape in an ambulance two paramedics and one survivor and the bear chases them down the road and takes out the ambulance and kills them all <laughs> And it's so over the top and the effects and the animations are fun enough, especially, you know, the slow mo slow motion cartoon bear leaping into the back of the ambulance, which I believe was part of the extended trailer. Uh, plus the park ranger played by Margot Martindale, uh, getting her, getting her comeuppance at the hands of the bear. Absolutely hilarious for about a second the movie provided one moment one entertaining moment i wish you'd seen it oh my goodness 
I mean, so what did it do wrong? I already said the animated bear. Holy cow. The uh, awful If you're going to do this movie, you should at least have real bears on set. You should have bear wranglers right there to... Yeah. To, to make the movie work. I, I don't know if they used any at all. I, I didn't bother looking it up. Uh, but of course, the, the, the cocaine bear herself, really goofy, smiley animated, um, sort of like snakes on a plane, which I didn't see. But, you know, they showed the, the obviously animated snake face on the trailer and you go, oh, OK, that's what the kind of movie this is going to be. Um, all the attempts at humor and the jokes fall flat. Um, every character is obnoxious, not in the way that. In a horror film, you're like, oh, wait, I can't wait for the killer to kill this guy. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait for, you know, the killer to get her. Just in the completely unbelievable and unfunny, like they add nothing to the film. Um, three, like three punk teenagers who basically, uh, you know, harass park goers and steal stuff. You know, they find the cocaine and and they're basically useless characters. Um, who don't even get killed by the bear? Well, one of them doesn't. Uh, there's a scene where uh, someone opens a door to a closet, and there's blood coming out from under the door. you know. And the audience is like, oh, no, there's a bear in there. And, of course, he finds all the blood, and then the bear quietly steps out of the shadows. It's a computer-animated bear face. There's nothing scarier or anything about it. I keep harping on that. It's it's really egregious. Um. But that's what you get for watching movies in March, really. That's where you get great stuff like Quantumadia and Cocaine Bear. We've got um, another uh, Marvel movie coming out in May. In May? Now, that's, that's summer. That's the beginning of the summer blockbuster season. Thanks for the puns, chat. Sounds unbearable. Absolutely. Um, Go ahead. Ask yeah, me what the, Marvel movie's coming out in May. I don't want to. What Marvel movie's coming out in May? I actually don't remember. <laughs> really? I've seen the trailer. I've seen the trailer like three times, and I don't remember. Oh, they're all the they're all the same. Um, <laughs> I think I think I remember, but but right after this, uh, Cocaine Bear. Even if you were suckered in by the name, even if you're suckered in by the idea of, oh, and I thought about this. I got to tell my buddy Steve of the Bone Bat show. Uh, I'm sure he's probably seen it by now. This is the sort of thing that both would be great as the feature full length film for the Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. Yet at the same time, I doubt it would make the cut. That's how badly they failed at being a horror movie, a comedy horror movie, or a parody of the same. It's that bad. This year, uh, speaking of movies I'm not going to watch, uh, unless, that is, unless, see, after, after the cocaine bear, uh, my fiance, who's my date, said, you owe me one. I've, I'm, I've got two free passes. So... If uh, if she drags me to Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't know what movie they're on. Three now, four. Three. Oh, that's what's coming out in May. That's what's coming out this year. Oh. Also looks completely unwatchable. I mean, after a while. You see all these. Uh, I, I, everybody loves a good comic book adventure every now and then, but these Marvel movies, they have been kid stuff the whole time, and it's amazing that they've trudged on without people like uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Because. The MCU is over when they retired Iron Man, um, Captain America, you know, Black Widow. Um, 
It's true. And you have to admit, it was pretty well dead by that time anyway. There's a pretty good so, reason why the those big actors were done with it. That that last movie was a great movie, you know, when they all the portals up and all their friends and armies came through and they were fighting Thanos from the past and all his armies and all of that. You could see the cracks forming that would eventually kill the MCU, but that last, and there was one or two good movies after that, mainly the Spider-Man one. Um, no Way Home. I thought that was a great movie. Um, but man, that was it. That was the end of the MCU because one, you would finish this magnum opus that began back with Iron Man in 2007. And you didn't have any stars that could carry the MCU onward. That, that's it. It was basically trying to reboot it from scratch, but they were still acting like they could, you know, continue on from the hype from before, but they didn't. They had killed all the hype. Uh, you, and you're much nicer to the MCU uh, than I would be. But you're right. It was, But they have to keep trying to print money. Amazing how it went as long as it did. I mean, it was a, you know, it was kind of a, a record-breaking run for shared universe movies, as far as I know. Um, it was like 32 films or something like that. And there were some stinkers in there. Iron Man 2 and 3, both bad. Thor 2, terrible. Um, but most of them were good to great. You're too kind, but, but uh, yeah, your point made relatively speaking wow uh so yeah there's there is i mean speaking of, of that stuff is there is nothing to look forward to in terms of i don't know what do i say visual media or entertainment or anything like that blockbuster movies are dead they're all dominated by rehashed disney marvel garbage um even the so if you're looking for an art film like if you're that type of person all the stuff that uh that's coming out by that studios a24 i mean it's all bad <laughs> you, you can just smell the pretentious oscar bait coming in from the preview uh it's just terrible i watched People... an 824 movie that was good but i can't remember the name of it right now you liked the northman i like oh the yeah the northman was great I liked The Northman. Um, I watched The Witch. The Witch was okay. I liked The Witch a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, you're not going to get any... You're not... They are, they are fully pretentious. They are pretending to have any sort of ability or... that... They're looking for some recognition of, of their, their artsiness or their high cult. No, it's all trash. It's all trash. You just got to make good trash. Nobody makes good trash anymore. Ex Machina is a movie. Um, that was the breakout film for Alicia Vikander. Mm -hmm. And that was, I know her career seems to have gone up and down um but it was a movie that was really kind of really convinced of its cleverness without seeming to recognize that it was trotting a well-trodden path in the genre of you know humanoid looking robots and stuff and then it uh 
it wasn't as clever as it thought it was. Um, but mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting in some ways. I'm not giving it a recommend, but I'm giving it kind of a 45% of a recommend. 45% of a recommend. And that doesn't—that's uh, a good recommend. That doesn't help us find anything to watch coming up. So, in uh. I guess I guess we should start wrapping up here. Uh, what do we have looking forward to in the next uh, couple of months on the oh, Geekad? I wanted to say this. I uh, I saw Nope this week finally. Oh, good. Um, and I enjoyed it. It wasn't a perfect movie, but man, it was really solid. Yeah. Uh, um, I really did enjoy it. Um. I think it was a movie that was a little bit hampered by uh, the director trying to put a bunch of themes into it instead of just focusing on the story. So I think the story was enough. The story was good enough to have carried the whole movie. You didn't have to try and put deep meaning into it because it had so many little themes that really weren't supposed to be themes. They were just subplots. They were just character development to help you, you know, to help you uh, feel empathy for the characters. But man, I really did like the uh, three main characters. I like the actors playing them. Um, the brother and sister and the tech guy, those were all great people. The cameraman was awesome. Um, but then again, that actor, I really like that actor, have ever since The Crow. Um, uh, and... Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely give a recommend to Nope. Um, it's a Jordan Peele movie, um, but it is not... It isn't preachy, and uh, it's a lot more grounded and a lot more coherent than, say, Us. Uh, and... Given the subject matter of the movie, I, I think it's a. I don't see where he would have cheated on the logic or anything. It just made sense to me, given the you know. Premise of the movie. Uh, it, it the rest of it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a good movie. It was a great movie. Uh, I mean, that, not in the sense of legendary greatness, but yeah, it was a great movie to watch. I enjoyed it. Um, I would recommend it. And that's not a, if you like this sort of thing, recommendation, which I have to give a lot, but no, it's, it's just a recommendation. I love the... The final thing that the thing did where it kind of uh, altered some of the stuff, if you know what I'm talking about. I don't. Where it became... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great. Uh, man, and uh, that rainfall on the house just was disturbing. <laughs> I mean, it is a horror movie, folks. Just know that when you're going in. Unlike Cocaine Bear, which is not funny or horrible. Or, or horrid. Terrifying. It is horrible. So, yeah, I think that's it. Sounds good. Hey, uh, that was fun to chat about uh, movies and the usual stuff. Uh, it was a good time. I do hope everybody uh, live uh, chat was enjoying slamming Hollywood uh, and everything. We got a big don't watch for Cocaine Bear and uh, and a 
watch for Nope if you haven't yet. Um, I hope everybody listening later hasn't yet already seen Cocaine Bear, so they got their fair warning. Uh, it really is that bad. But uh, I'm done for this week, War Pig. Thanks for chatting. Take it away. Um, I've been looking through the list of A24 movies, and I've gotten up to April 27, 2018. Another one that I really liked was The Disaster Artist, which was uh, the movie about Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero making The Room. <laughs> uh, it, the Disaster Artist was a great movie. It really was uh, interesting and fun, um, and I really enjoyed it. That one was not pretentious. Most of their, you know, quote-unquote, elevated horror absolutely is pretentious, but um, that one was just uh, just a nice movie. So um, it, it's really sad because most of their movies really have been uh, really have had a decent budget for what they're doing they're movies that would have been low budget movies but they've gotten a decent enough budget to look really nice um to have good you know uh to have good production values but they're just really uh pretentious and of course uncut gems uh which i thought was a great movie and i believe john hated didn't see it. Oh. Can't can't do Adam Sandler anymore. Cannot. Oh, but this wasn't an Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler movie. I mean I know. I know. Um well I would recommend both uh, the disaster artists and uncut gems. Um they're not what you would think of as my usual fare, but they were both uh both really good. And I, I, I like quality films. I love movies. I love movies so much. Oh, and on the music tip, I listened to, uh, if you ever heard the song Steal My Sunshine from the 90s from a group called Len. That's L-E-N called Len. Mm. Um, I watched a YouTube video talking about One Hit Wonders. And the guy was saying that the album that that song came off of uh, was an uh, was an absolutely spectacular uh, album that uh, it's called You Can't Stop the Bum Rush. And that what they had done with that album is that every song on the album was from a different musical genre and they were all good. So I spent the last week or so... Um, listening to that album and listening to uh, the songs on the album. And I have to say he was right. You Can't Stop the Bum Rush is a really, uh, a really interesting and a really good album. So, uh, and it's anchored by Steal My Shun Sunshine, which became a really big hit. So I would say they're not, uh, I would agree with this YouTuber that they are not one hit wonders. And if you have a streaming service like Spotify or Apple Music, go check out You Can't Stop the Bum Rush because it is a really good album. And I really enjoyed getting uh, becoming familiar with it over the last uh, the last week or so. If I can get hold of my mouse cursor here, let me tell you, um, I like the song called Cryptic. Souls Crew, um, and of course, Steal My Sunshine, which is the song everybody likes, um, and also Man of the Year, uh, and those are tracks two and three. Um, so if you, uh, Again, if you have Apple Music or Spotify or one of the other streaming services, I encourage you, give it a listen, uh, especially tracks one, two, and three, which are, uh, for me, the big big features uh, off the album. All right. 
I really meant to do that earlier in the show, but it completely slipped my mind until right now. I'm glad you got to it. All right. I'm done. There's nothing else I wanted to talk about. Um, so I want to say thanks for everyone tuning in and participating with the chat. Um, I want to say thanks to uh, everyone uh, who listened live and everyone who will listen later. This has been Geek Gab for Saturday, March 4th, 2023. And uh, we are, you can get us just about every week, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, right here on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Uh, and if you want to get a mailed, emailed announcement for when the show starts, go ahead and subscribe and click bell. Um, we're also available on the Apple iTunes store on the uh, Google Play Store or on SoundCloud.com to download on the device of your choice or to listen on the web or download to your computer. We are signing out for today, folks, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.